As we get started with the, the message today, I, want, I have a question for you to think about. Have you ever had somebody in your life who was, who was upset at you or mad at you, and, and even though you did your best to love that person and, and to seek peace with that person, uh, your efforts seemed futile because that person was, was dead set on being mad at you? Um, if a person is determined in his or her own heart to, to see you as their enemy, then you can't fix that. Um, only God can fix that. And that's why we pray uh, for those who, when we are in conflict or are upset with us, that, that they might experience the fullness of the peace uh, that is offered to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ, both peace with God and also this peace with one another that, that, that Jesus invites us into. And the, and the exact same principle is true when it comes to matters of faith. Uh, if, a, if a person is dead set in their mind that there is no God, there's no truth that exists, I'm not going to talk about it. There's, I'm dead set. I'm not even humbling myself to, to, to being open to the idea of a deity. Then that's not something you and I can fix. Uh, we can't make other people believe. Only God can do that. Now, God definitely uses us as his instruments to, to point people to him, uh, but ultimately only God can take a heart that is dead and cold to him and breathe onto that heart with his Holy Spirit and make it alive to him. Only God can do that. And I kind of have a fascination with, with Christian apologetics. And that word, it, it just means basically a rational defense of the Christian faith. Because uh, there's so much historical and scientific and, and sociological and statistical uh, evidence for the existence of God and for the trustworthiness of the Bible that, that I just want everybody to know how rational it is to, to follow Jesus and what I found in my own experience, though, and, and what I read in the Bible is that no matter what our best arguments are to believe in God, our arguments will not produce faith in a person's heart unless God intervenes. And, and Jesus said in John chapter 6 that God the Father must draw a person to himself with power and give them a heart of faith if they're to trust in him. And and that's why we pray. That's, why, that's one of the reasons why we pray for others. That's why we plead with God in prayer to give faith to our, our unbelieving family members and to our unbelieving neighbors and, and to people all around the globe in unreached people groups. And, and in the passage of Scripture we're, we've been studying the past few weeks, Jesus is preaching to a crowd that is, is both mad at him and determined to be mad at him and doesn't believe in him and is determined not to believe in him. And he's interacting with uh, the, the teachers, actually, of the people, the Pharisees. And they're determined, we're not going to believe this guy regardless of how much evidence he shows us. So today in the passage we're going to look at, we're going to read more of what Jesus says about who he is. And Jesus is going to show you and me that the quality of your life here on earth and after this earth hinges on what you believe about Jesus. The quality of your life in, on this earth and after this earth hinges on what you believe about Jesus. So if you got your Bible with you, you can open up to John chapter 8. 
verses 12 to 30. Last week, we, uh, we took a small chunk. We did one verse, and this week, we're taking a big chunk, 12 to 30. Um, this is God's word. Let's ask him to help us now. Dear Lord, we want to know you. And we want to trust you. We want to honor you with our lives. We want to bring you glory with our hearts and with our minds, what we're thinking about, and with our words, what we say, uh, with our actions, what we do. And we thank you for leaving heaven and coming to us and teaching us how to be friends with you. Um, We just ask that you would please give us a greater faith in you. Give us more trust in you. Please give us humble hearts, Lord, that fear you, that take you seriously, that revere you, that revere your awesome power. And please, at the same time, fill us with an understanding of your great love for us uh, so that we might be propelled to love you more, to love our neighbors well by the spirit that's in us. As we open up your word, God, we remember that you told us that your word is truth and we are sanctified by the truth. We're sanctified by your word. We're made more like you by the power of your word activated by the Holy Spirit. And so we ask that uh, your word would do that now for us. Would you move in our minds and our hearts, shape us into your image. We humbly ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, John chapter 8, verses 12 to 30. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You're bearing witness about yourself, your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet, even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says where I'm going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I'm not of this world. 
I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone. For I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Amen. All right, so it's a a big chunk. So buckle up. Um, So Jesus has been in the temple. He's teaching in Jerusalem uh, during this great festival, the Feast of Booths. And thousands and thousands of Jews have, have traveled to Jerusalem to bring their tithes and their offerings to the temple. And it's in the midst of this giant crowd that Jesus has stood up and he's begun to preach to them. And he preaches with authority like nobody else uh, preaches. Nobody's ever seen someone speak like this man before, is what we read over and over again here. And, and the Pharisees have heard Jesus' teaching. They're offended by him. They don't like his teaching. They're, they're threatened by his influence. And what's happening in this passage essentially is they put Jesus on trial. And it's not an official trial. It's not a legal trial. But they're, they're treating it like it is. And they essentially put Jesus on the stand and begin to interrogate him. And even though Jesus knows that uh, they're out to get him, they're out to trap him, that's what they're trying to do. Even though they want to kill him, he stays faithful to them. Okay? He keeps teaching them so that some of them might receive eternal life. And Jesus has just made this bold, exclusive claim that he is the light of the world. Whoever follows him will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of eternal life. So the Pharisees are angry. They continue to be infuriated with Jesus. And in verse 13, they said to him, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. So the the Pharisees are using legal language, right? You bear witness about yourself. Your testimony isn't true. And they're they're using the language you would use in a courtroom. And they're telling him that he's making great claims about himself and, and that he doesn't have any witnesses to verify his testimony. And so he can't be telling the truth. Now, the ironic thing is that Jesus has already provided the Pharisees with lots of witnesses. If, if you've been here and, and through this series, you'll know that. In John 5, Jesus already pointed them to John the Baptist's testimony, who, who was a witness to Jesus. In John 5, Jesus already pointed them to all of the signs and wonders and healings that, that Jesus has done publicly. Uh, he points them to uh, God the Father. He said, well, what about God the Father when he said, this is my son, whom I'm well pleased. <laughs> God the Father's testimony. Uh, he pointed them to the scripture's testimony about Jesus. As how, what about all the prophecies that I've fulfilled? 
the Pharisees, this is the thing. They don't consider those testimonies valid because in their hearts, they don't want to believe in him. They don't want to see it. They don't want to see that all the evidence points to the fact that Jesus is God. And so in verse 14, Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true for I know where I come from or came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true for it's not I alone who judge, but I and the father who sent me. In your law, it's written that the testimony of two people is true. And I am the one who bears witness about myself and the father who sent me bears witness about me. So Jesus reminds the Pharisees that he's already given them plenty of evidence that he's God. And, and he says that even if he does bear witness about himself, okay, so I am bearing witness about myself. Even if I do that, I'm telling you the truth. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. I am God. I, I'm the savior who came to save the world from sin. And Jesus tells them they can trust his testimony to be true. Now, the reason he says they can trust him, he says for or because, he knows where he came from and he knows where he's going. Okay? And, he, so, and then he contrasts that with the fact that they don't know where he came from and they don't know where he's going. Okay? So where did Jesus come from? Where, where was he going? Heaven, right? Jesus came from heaven and would return to heaven after his life on earth because he's God. And Jesus says that the reason we, you and I, they can trust his testimony is because he is different than us, okay? He is God. He came from heaven. And you and I didn't come from heaven. We came from a tiny cell that God planted inside our mother's uterus. You and I come from the flesh. We come from the earth, but not Jesus, Jesus didn't start existing in, in Mary's stomach. Jesus never started existing at all. Jesus doesn't have a start date. Jesus is God. He's always existed. Psalm 92 says that before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Okay? Not just everlasting forward, but everlasting backwards too. Okay, from everlasting to everlasting, Jesus is God. And, and just as he was different from us and that he knew where he came from, he knew where he was going, Jesus says he, 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 he was different from us and that he knows the future. Okay, he, he sees what's going to happen. He sees the end from the beginning. He knows that when his mission's complete on earth, he's going to go back to heaven. That's different from you and me. Uh, if we trust in Jesus and, and, and follow Jesus, then, then we can be confident that we too will go to heaven when we die. But you and I don't know what's going to happen between now and then, right? Jesus does. Jesus is God. Jesus, his testimony is true. His testimony is true regardless of who believes it. He doesn't need human affirmation, okay? He, his testimony is true because he is the holy and uncreated God of the universe, that's, that's who Jesus is. You guys, this is why you and I can trust Jesus. 
You and I can trust his promises. You, cannot, you and I can trust scripture. This is one reason why. His promises aren't like promises that people have made to you. Uh, his, his miracles that he does are not magic tricks. His, his words are not deceptive. His power never leaves him. You and, you and I can trust Jesus to walk with us, to get us through difficult times because he really is the all-powerful light of the world who, who will show us where we need to go and not even, and more than that, he says that he takes us by the right hand and walks us through our troubles to get us where we need to go with us. And you and I, you and I can trust that a friendship with Jesus is better than anything you're going to find in this world. It's better than everything in this world because Jesus isn't from here. <laughs> Jesus isn't from this world. He's different than anything we've ever known on earth. He, he, he is our true home where we were created to live forever. He is our home. And you and I can trust that Jesus won't leave us or forsake us or, or abandon us. Our source of security in this, our source of security in Christ isn't in our accomplishments. It's in what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. Okay? So when we're faced with terminal illnesses and when we are waking up in the morning and we feel depressed and when we feel like God is far away, when our loved ones die, and when we are in the last minutes of our lives on earth, God will not forsake us if we belong to him. Okay? He's purchased us. Get this. He owns us. With, he purchased us with his own blood on the cross. Okay? He owns us. And he says, nobody can snatch my children out of my hands. That's what he says. <sighs> Praise God. So, uh, so may we turn to God with joy and love this God who loves us so much and give him the time and attention and sacrifices that he deserves because he says where this, where he is, there is freedom where the spirit of the Lord is. There is freedom and we can trust Jesus. That's a great cause for joy. And man, that's, that's where true peace is <laughs> knowing Jesus now, Jesus goes on to tell the Pharisees in verse 15 that they don't see this. They're, they're blind to him because they're doing the very thing he's been telling them not to do. They're judging according to the flesh. They're making rash judgments about him based on misinformation and partial information. They're looking at the surface of things. They're not looking at the heart of things. And Jesus says, I'm not like you. I don't judge according to the flesh. Okay, so, so when Jesus says, I judge no one, he obviously, okay, people love to take that one out of context. He obviously doesn't mean that he never judges anybody because he just said, I judge people. And then in the next sentence, he says, but if I judge people, okay. So what he's doing is Jesus, he's contrasting himself with the Pharisees. Okay. They judge according to the flesh. He doesn't judge people according to the flesh. He judges rightly. He does this wisely. He looks at the heart of a matter. He looks at the truth of a matter. And then Jesus says in verse 16, Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, 
For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So here he goes. He reinforces the, the trustworthiness of his own testimony by telling them, this is another thing he does, he validates it by saying, everything I do is in alignment with God the Father. Okay? So when Jesus judges, it's not a fleshly judgment. It's not a wrong judgment. It's a right judgment that's been revealed to him by God the Father. And in addition to that, God the Father actually bears witness to Jesus, right? Using his words. And also by blessing and affirming everything that Jesus does and says during his earthly ministry. Now, they're interrogating Jesus. They don't want to believe him. And if you've ever been questioned by somebody who goes, goes into a meeting knowing they want to destroy you and they don't want to believe you, whatever you say, then you know that it's almost impossible to appease that person, no matter if you're right or no matter if you're telling the truth. And that's what happens here. Jesus has told them the truth. He's shown them his witnesses. And the Pharisees just act like they didn't even hear anything. Okay. They've got an agenda and they said, okay, well, let's just jump to the next item on the agenda. They weren't listening. And so they, they, they said, what else can we grill him about? And in verse 19, they said to him, so where's your father? And the Pharisees asked Jesus where his father is. And I think they're trying to trap him. I think they're trying to, they want him to say with his words, <clears throat> I am God. And I have come from God the Father so that they are going to have clear grounds to arrest Jesus and charge him with blasphemy. It is curious that they haven't been able to lay a hand on him yet. And I bet that's going through their minds too. Why, have, why isn't this happening? Right? Because God the Father is overseeing this. He's, he's not letting them touch him. And so they're like, well, maybe we just need him to explicitly say this and then we can take him to court. And Jesus knows their hearts. He sees exactly what's going on. He sees they're trying to trap him and he answers them by saying, you don't know me or my father. If you did know me, then you would know my father also. And that is an offensive statement to make, okay? Jesus is telling the leaders of the Jewish people, they don't know God. You don't know God. The thing that the ancient Jews prided themselves upon, <clears throat> that they knew the one true God, Jesus says, you don't. You don't know God. And that's because, here's why, that, why they didn't know God. Because, this is important for us, <clears throat> Being from a certain family does not make you a believer, okay? Kids, just because your parents are Christians doesn't mean you're a Christian. There comes a point where you've got to decide for yourself, do I believe this? Do I own this faith? Do I want to be a disciple of Jesus? Having a certain skin color does not make you a believer. Being from America definitely doesn't make you a believer. Um... You're only a believer when you know Jesus personally because you've trusted in him. You've trusted in what he's done for you. And you've, you're not trusting in yourself anymore. You're trusting in Jesus. 
Guys, that's called grace. Grace is a gift from God that you cannot earn no matter how hard you try. Okay? It's a, it's a grace. It's a gift that he freely gives to you because he loves you. And friendship with God is grace. It's a grace that God gives to you. You can't earn friendship with him. You can receive it from him, though, by trusting in him. That's grace. Verse 20 says that Jesus spoke all of these things to the Pharisees in the temple. It says near the treasury, which is where they stored the tithes and offerings of the Jewish people. And again, we read here in verse 20 that even though they were trying to kill him, no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. We read that over and over again here. His time had not yet come to go to the cross, to, to die for the sin of the world, but... It's coming. It's coming. In verse 21, Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So so the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says where I'm going, you cannot come. He said to them, you are from below. I'm from above. You're of this world. I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Now, Jesus repeats himself in this chapter, or in this gospel, driving home central points, okay? In John chapter 7, he already told the crowd, that he'd be going away, that they would seek him, that they wouldn't be able to go where he was going. And now he tells them why that is. He tells them what would happen to him. And he tells them why that would happen. And he does this by talking about their sin. Okay? In verse 21, he talks about their sin, singular. And then in verse 24, he switches over and talks about their sins, plural. Okay? So let's talk about that. First, he tells them in verse 21 that they will die in their sin. Singular. So he's talking to this group of unsaved people. And when he does that, and he's, when he says that he's, they're going to die in their sin, he's telling them they will die on earth and then experience eternal hell because that is the punishment of the sin of humanity. Okay? The sin of humanity. Richard Phillips writes that Unbelievers die unregenerate, meaning they're not born again, corrupt, and in a state of sin that is unfit for heaven. So because of humanity's rebellion against God, the curse of sin and eternal death, that's on all of us, okay? Why does cancer happen to some people and and why not others? It's not necessarily because somebody did something. All of us are cursed. You get that? Humanity is cursed by sin and its effects. Okay. And then Jesus tells the Jews in verse 24 that they will die in their sins, plural. So why does he switch? Well, what he's saying is that nobody experiences eternal separation from God only because of humanity's sin, but also because each of us individually have committed specific sins against God. Okay. And there's a punishment for that. The, the sins that we commit condemn us. Every time we don't obey God's law, we're condemned by God's law. 
And so Jesus says this to this unbelieving crowd, and he says, he's going to heaven, and they can't come with him because of humanity's sin and also because of their sins specifically. And they can't follow him there unless, <laughs> thank God he includes this, includes this phrase, unless they believe in him, okay? If only they will believe in Jesus and trust in Jesus, they can be forgiven of their sin and sins, okay? They can be friends with God now where they weren't before. They can have eternal life now. They can follow Jesus to heaven and live with Jesus in heaven forever where they were created to live in peace with God. And and Jesus reiterates, he says again here, why they can trust him. Because he's not like them. <laughs> he's God. Where he, he says, where, where I'm, I'm going, you can't come in your flesh. They're, you're from the earth. I'm from heaven. You're of this sinful world. I'm not of this world. Jesus hasn't been tainted by sin. Not one bit. Jesus is from heaven. He, and he crystallizes all of this, these claims by telling the crowd that they'll die in their sin unless, quote, you believe that I am he. Okay, now listen up. The literal translation is, unless you believe that I am. Jesus is claiming the name of God for himself. That's one of the names of God used throughout the whole Bible. I am. And Jesus says, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. Unless you believe Jesus is the son of God who's come to seek and to save the lost by dying for their sins and rising from the dead, then you will die in your sins. You guys believe that Jesus is I am. Okay. You can know I am. Praise God. And Jesus offers to save from sin these very leaders who are out to kill him. But they're dead set. So they don't get this. They're still dead set in their belief. They keep interrogating. They, they say to him, who are you? And, and probably we can read that as, who are you? Or who do you think you are? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. He's telling the Pharisees, have you been listening to what I've been saying? I'm, I'm just telling you what I've been telling you all, the long, all along. I'm not trying to make this too difficult for you to believe in me. I've given you plenty of witnesses. I've, I've performed plenty of signs and wonders for you to see. I've preached the truth to you. I've, I've fed you physically and spiritually. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 26, I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They didn't understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. This is sobering, to say the least. Jesus looks at the Pharisees and he says, I have much to say about you. And how thankful I am that because I've trusted in Christ by God's grace alone, because Christ has hidden me in himself, that Christ will never look at me with condemnation and say, I have much to say about you. 
Jesus has much to say about this unbelieving world. He has much to say about the Pharisees. And he's going to have the last word. Okay? He's going to have the word when we meet him face to face. And also on the last day when he returns, he's going to have much to say. And also he will have much to judge on that day. Because our evil won't go unpunished because God's good. Because he is good, he, he will not let evil go unpunished. Either, and this is it, man, either we will suffer the punishment we deserve or we will trust in Jesus who already suffered for us. That's why the quality of your life now and, on, and, and forever hinges on what you believe about Jesus. See? Either you will suffer for eternity or you will trust that Jesus suffered for you. And he, he, he will be your God, okay? And Jesus, again, he, he, he wants us to know that his words and, his, and, his, and this judgment he's talking about are, are true and trustworthy. He, these are the words of the triune God. He, he says there's, there's one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus speaks, he speaks for all three. Okay, Jesus tells the truth about you and me. He tells the truth about himself. He tells the truth about reality. And because he's gracious, he shares that with us. He shares with us what God the Father has revealed to him. That's the way he puts it. And the Pharisees stay in the dark. They didn't understand Jesus was talking about God the Father. And in their, in their darkness, they display Ignorance because they don't know God and they don't see God in the face of Jesus. And in their darkness, they display evil. The evil that's in their heart because they don't want to see him. They don't want to see God. They don't want to see Jesus. You guys, there's no hope for you and me in our flesh. Get that? In you and me, there's no hope in me. There's no hope that I can muster up the faith and obedience to do what God requires. And if we have been saved, though, out of the darkness, man, then now, this is the thing. We have to pray against the impulses of our flesh that want us to keep on living as though we were still in the darkness. Okay? Those impulses are still there. We fight the flesh. See, the life of the Christian Man, this is not kick back on the lazy boy till we get to heaven. That's not at all how scripture describes it. It says you're at war. This is a battle, okay? It's a battle for your mind. Are you gonna think true thoughts? Are you gonna, are you gonna think thoughts that glorify God? Are you gonna fight to think that, okay? It's, it's hard work. You ever feel like there's a battle going for your mind? Man, last can't remember this week I woke up at five okay which I don't normally wake up at five for two hours I was just laying in bed and it was all these thoughts and worries were just hitting me I didn't I wasn't bringing any of it on I just woke up and then all of a sudden flooded with all this stuff and I'm worrying and I don't even realize I'm worrying right it's a battle you got to take the reins of your mind and say Jesus I want to take every thought captive for you Okay, and make it obedient to you. The, the Christian life is it's a battle for our hearts. 
It's a battle. What do we desire? Right? We, we desire different things. Do we desire what God desires? Or do we just have a switch that we shut off? And it's like, I just don't desire that when I'm not at church. I desire these things. It's a fight to desire God. Okay? It's not enough to just say, well, I just have a tough time desiring God. And sometimes the Bible's boring for me. It's like, dude, you wake up and you read and obey God and, and, and pray for that desire. You can't just sit back and, and say, oh, just, I'm not like Pastor Dan. I'm like, no, no, dude, this is a fight. This is, it's a fight. And God's given us the tools. You think I always feel like getting up and, and reading the Bible and coming to church? I'm the pastor, okay? I'm the, I'm the pastor. It's, it's, it's a battle for our minds. It's, yeah. It's a battle for our bodies. The life of Christ is, is a battle. God, will you use my body to bring you honor? Would you use my body to do what you want me to do with my body? And so, you guys, we have tools, thankfully, for this. This is why we pray. This is one of the reasons why we pray for the other people in our community groups, in our Bible studies, in our discipleship relationships. We need to pray for one another. We need to pray for people who don't want Jesus. Because they don't want to hear about him. They're not interested in him. How are they going to pray for their salvation if we don't pray for them? I always, you guys have heard me say this before, but I love this Spurgeon quote. It says, if sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions and let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. It's at this point now, okay, when Jesus has spoken so much about himself, that the, the Pharisees have revealed so much about what's going on in their hearts, that now we reach the crescendo of the passage. And it all comes to a head here in these last three verses. Jesus said to them, starting in verse 28, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. And that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Jesus says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. Remember that the Son of Man, okay, so who's the Son of Man? Well, it was a title used in the Old Testament to describe the Savior who would come to rescue the world. Jesus is the Son of Man, and he is the Messiah. He's the one prophesied about in the Old Testament. He's the Messiah sent from God to save the world. And he says that they will know this. They will know that he is God. They will know literally what he says. You will know that I am when I've been lifted up. And whenever we read that word lifted up, specifically in the Gospel of John, it has a double meaning. It always refers to a physical lifting up and to a spiritual exaltation. Okay? Happening at the same time. 
So Jesus says that when these crowds he's talking to finally lift him up physically on the cross, then they will know that he is God because Jesus will be lifted up in exaltation. Okay? That's an incredible idea, you guys, that it's actually through Jesus being lifted up onto an ancient Roman torture device that humanity will see him exalted as the savior of the world that he is. Okay? That's not the way you and I would have planned it. <laughs> this is incredible. Jesus says, when I'm exalted on the cross, then you will know that I am God. You will know that everything I do and everything I say is with divine authority. Because God the Father sent me here. God the Father has not left me alone, even when all of you abandoned me. God the Father is always with me. And what does he say? He's always with me because I always do the things that are pleasing to him. <clears throat> Who else could say that? <laughs> I always do the things that are pleasing to God. I've never sinned a day in my life. I never will. Wow. <clears throat> now it's precisely because of that fact that Jesus alone is qualified to be the spotless eternal lamb who's lifted up on the cross to take away the sin of the world. Only Jesus could be exalted on a cross when it was a place of humiliation for every other person. Okay. Only Jesus was fit to be the sacrificial lamb whose body was broken and whose blood was shed for the complete forgiveness of our sins. Only Jesus, the Bible doesn't say this, is, it's, it's very explicit in what it says. Only Jesus became our sin. He bore our sin. He completely endured every ounce of God's wrath poured onto our sin for us so that there's none left for us. There's no wrath from God left for us in Christ. Only Jesus became that sin so that he could then take that sin away from us and replace it with the righteousness that's in himself. And so that now through faith in Christ, we have the righteousness of God so that we might be declared and we have been declared. We've been justified, which means if you're in Christ, you've been declared not guilty before God forever so that you will die to sin now and live for righteousness. You'll die to the darkness and live for the light of Jesus. Only Jesus could be slaughtered and wrapped in burial garments and stuffed into a tomb as a dead man. That he was dead. And then rise up again from the dead later to show hundreds of eyewitnesses that the gates of hell cannot prevail against him. Okay? Who but Jesus has done that? Nobody. He was lifted up on the cross. He was lifted up from the grave. He was lifted up into heaven. Christ is exalted through the work that he has done to rescue sinners. And this is what we call the gospel. <clears throat> we are saved from sin and Jesus is exalted. That's how it works. Now because, now get this though. Because God's even more gracious than not sending us to hell, he unites us to himself in his death and resurrection. So that what we've got coming for us is to...
be co-heirs with him so that when we get to heaven, we will experience the exaltation of Christ with Christ forever. That's mind-blowing. This is what Jesus means when he says, if you believe in me, you won't die in your sins, but you'll have eternal life. The cross of the Christ. You, you guys, this is why you're going to hear the gospel every week here. <laughs> this is what, The gospel is the apex of the Bible. It is the high point of all of human history. It is the core of the message that we treasure and share with, with others. That's why Christ said, I, or Paul said, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. If you just get that point, I did my job, right? And verse 30 says, as Jesus was saying these things, many believed in him. Many believed in Jesus. Many believed that Jesus was, I am. Many believed he was the savior of the world, lifted up, to be exalted forever. Do you believe? <laughs> Do you believe today? Then tell the Lord that. Tell him, tell him that. Thank him for that. We're going to take communion today. And as the communion servers come forward, let's take a few minutes of silent prayer to, to, to tell God that we love him. Um, to, to worship God, to, if we've got sins that we're, are hindering our fellowship with God right now, to confess those sins to him, to receive forgiveness for those sins, to celebrate Jesus for forgiving us for those sins. And then we'll take communion. Let's, let's pray together. Dear Lord, we just want to take a few minutes now and silently tell you what's on our hearts. Dear Lord, we thank you that you tell us that in, in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We thank you, Lord, and we pray that you would be exalted.